welcome to the New Community Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Caleb, and this week we are continuing our series, Living Among Lions. And just to refresh you, this series has been all about um, a study of the book of Daniel and looking at how do we live in a culture that doesn't share the same values or the same beliefs that we do. How do we live out God's word and how he's called us to live? And this week, we're looking at pride and humility and King Nebuchadnezzar and his successor. And they give us this great example of what could happen if you let pride, if you let this obsession of self take over your life and direct all of your actions. And we want to look at how do we lead in a humble way, in, in humility, in our family, in our workplace, um, wherever God would place us. How do we lead in humility and walk humbly in a kingdom? Here's Pastor Aaron. Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good? It's good to see each of you here and for everyone watching online, um, to all the dads in the room, happy Father's Day. Um, we are excited to be celebrating and joining with you this morning in honoring your dad. And this is a special day as we recognize dads and have... Um, a giveaway that I want to give you guys. This is something that my brother and my dad, I think it was about three years ago, we kind of read through this um, and we were talking through it. It's really challenging um, about the role of fathers in their son's life, but just also about the character that we're called to have as men and how God has challenged us. And so I've taken this and with each of our boys, we've walked through this and read through this book and we're talking through it about what God says we're called to be as men, what that means like for as fathers, it's got a very practical way for those of you with younger kids um, to kind of walk with your boys in discipleship and pray with them and open up scripture together. And so an amazing book. And Eddie, you're right up front here. So I'm going to give this to you. Okay. There you go, man. Um, but I promise to everyone, if that's something um, that would encourage you, pick that up. It is a great book. I've read through it a number of times already, and I'm going to keep reading through it because it's just got some great challenges. And when we talk about Father's Day, you know, we do this as we approach this day and also Mother's Day of, of remembering different ways that we approach this day. Um, for some of us, this is an exciting day and we're celebrating um, the dads that God has placed in our life or maybe your family is celebrating you. And then we also recognize for others that this may be a little bit of a difficult day. And as many of you may know, um, just a few months ago, we lost my dad, and um, he passed away. And, and so this is our first time approaching Father's Day of, um, with joy because of the memories and the amazing man of God that he was and the legacy that he left, but also with a little bit of sadness that I can't just pick up the phone today and call my dad. And some of you may be in that situation. And then, and then others of you, you may have a broken relationship with your father. You may not know who your father is. Um, there may be those of you that are watching this or even in the room that you want to become a dad and that door hasn't opened up for you yet. And I just wanna encourage you um, that however you're approaching this day, we're praying for you. We love you. Um, the Bible says that we rejoice with those that are rejoicing and we mourn with those that are mourning. And so as a church, we're coming alongside of you and um, we're with you in this day, however you're celebrating it and whatever this looks like for you. Um, this is a, a great day for, for all of us as we approach this. And so want to encourage you with that. also want to just share one more thing before we jump into the message, and that is this past week I sat down and I shared a video with our church, 
and it just, um, I took a few moments and I talked about what's going on in our nation and what's happening um, with the conversations around racial injustice, around the national unrest that's taking place, some of the language that we're using and some of the ways that we're standing up and speaking out about what's going on, but also guarding our hearts in different ways. And I think it may be helpful um, for us as a church to know the language that's good to use, to how, how we approach these conversations, um, things that we're partnering with, and then things that maybe we're stepping back a little bit from. Um, and so that could be a great resource for you. You can go to our main webpage, just newcommunity.co. And on the main page there, if you'll scroll down a little bit, there are some squares that highlight different things. And one of those highlights um, the conversation that we had. And you can click on that and watch that video. And uh, my prayer is that it would just help each of us as we're engaging in these conversations and how our church is approaching this. So, well, we are in our um, third week of this series called Living Among Lions. Living Among Lions. We're walking through the book of Daniel. And if you've never read the book of Daniel, that's okay. We're going to give you a quick kind of overview of what's going on. But Daniel and the people of God in this book of the Bible, um, they were no longer living in the promised land that God had given them. So there was a land that God had given his people, but the, the, the people of God, they kept on saying, God, we can do this on our own. We don't really need you as part of our life. And so they removed themselves from the protection of God, from the provision of God, and other armies came in and took them captive. And so they're living in a, a nation or a country or an empire called Babylon. That's where they're at. In the city of Babylon is where this story kind of takes place and where the book of Daniel is being written from. Um, in the large majority of it. And so in this area called Babylon, and they're now in a different culture. People speak a different language. There's a lot of different gods that are being worshiped. And the people of God have to make this decision. How are we going to live in this situation? How do we live in kind of a culture that many times is hostile to what we believe is against what we stand for and what God has told us? How do we live this out in our day-to-day -day lives? And so this is a great series kind of for us as many times we live in a culture where people may not be open to what scripture says or to the way that we live and how do we still impact the culture? And so something that we've said every week that's kind of an overarching theme in this book is the culture around you wants to get inside of you. But you have been called out to change it. You've been called out to change it. And so there's a culture around us that's trying to invade our lives many times and to stop our faith, to stop our relationship with God. But we've been called out to change it. And so today I'm sharing with you a message called Walking Humbly in a Kingdom. Walking Humbly in a Kingdom. And I'm using that terminology kind of metaphorically to the influence, um, the places that God has placed you, the relationships that you have. So kind of our kingdoms that we're a part of, our workplace, our schools, our relationships, our families. How do we walk humbly? How do we lead in this situation? As I was thinking about this, I thought um, about eight years ago, something happened in our family on Father's Day that kind of changed Father's Day for us and made it a little bit more special. And so eight years ago, um, we were living in Red Oak, Texas. Some of you guys know this part of our story. I've shared this before. And we headed over just a few days before Father's Day. We headed over to Arlington, and we met for the first time Gabriel, Sophie, and Aiden. Um, there was a church kind of like this that opened up their gym, and we played some games for them um, with them for a little bit. And then we went across the street, got some ice cream 
Pretty sure Aiden ended up wearing more of the ice cream than he ate. It was like all over him. But it was the first time we got to hang out with them and get to know them. And then on Father's Day, that Sunday, Father's Day Sunday, we drove back over to Arlington and we picked up Gabriel, Sophie, and Aiden and we brought them into our home um, to be with us. And so an amazing day and so so awesome that it all just worked out on Father's Day. This is our adoption day, just a number of months later where we officially adopted Gabriel, Sophie, and Aiden. You can see they're quite a bit smaller in that photo um, about eight years ago. But this was kind of a unique experience. I don't know if you've had anything like this, but we were going, um, so this is the lawyer that represented us, and that's our family there. And we're standing in front of the judge, and he starts challenging us. And he says, Mr. and Mrs. Escamilla, do you realize what you're doing here in this moment? And we said, yes. You know, we've gone through the training. We've gone through the classes. And then he starts, you know, challenging us as, hey, now you're called to protect these kids. You're their number one protector. So you're to take care of them. You're to meet their needs. And he said, they're a part of your forever family. So this isn't just, well, we're going to kind of get you till the age of 18. And then you're out on your own. Hope you make it after that. No, this means birthdays and anniversaries and holidays and, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving. For the rest of your life, you're inviting them into your family. And we knew all of that, but it was kind of this moment, right, where where the judge is encouraging us and he's challenging us that, where we felt that responsibility and we felt that way as parents of what we were stepping into. This was a new challenge, a new influence that God had given us. It was a little scary, you know, kind of in that moment, but we were so excited for what God was calling us to. In each of us, we have influence in our life. Maybe you've never stepped into a scenario like that, but um, if you've had kids, right, that's kind of scary because no one stands in front of you and tells you all of this. Remember the first time, you know, when Josiah was born, our firstborn um, kid, and, and that realization of, oh no, now I'm responsible for him. And if he's messed up, it may have something to do with how I parent him, right? Or when you go into your workplace, probably no one sat down in this way and said, hey, do you realize the influence that you're taking on students in the friendships that you have? When you start hanging out with others, you have influence over their life. You're speaking into their life. There's some leadership that you may have there. And no one really a lot of times sits down with you and says, wait, do you realize what you're stepping into? But all of us have this influence in how we lead our attitude the way we see those relationships and the leadership that we have, it makes all the difference in our life. And we see something very uniquely how Daniel approaches this and how other people in position and in leadership roles around Daniel, how they approach it and what happens with this. And so I want us to open up our Bibles and begin to look at this part of the book of Daniel and what we see about walking humbly in a kingdom. And so if you have your Bibles, turn this morning to Daniel chapter 4. And we're going to start reading in verse 28. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. So at the very beginning, we're introduced to this king called King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, it's kind of a hard name to say, but King Nebuchadnezzar, he's over the Babylonian empire. And for the first part of this book, that's who Daniel is serving under. And Daniel, once again, was um, a a Jewish man, a Jewish young man. He's probably maybe in his early 20s. And he's brought into the Babylonian empire. He's elevated into a position of influence, of leadership. Um, He stands out even among his peers. And so he has a voice as it comes to the king and what the king is understanding. And Nebuchadnezzar is pretty proud of what he's accomplished. 
And so he gets to this point in his life, and Nebuchadnezzar begins to look around. He is head of the Babylonian Empire, and he's looking at other countries that he's conquered, other kings that have to pay him taxes. The empire, the city of Babylon that he has built that has some of the wonders of the world housed in it, and some of the most amazing architect of that time, and gardens and all of these things. He's looking at his wealth, and he's thinking, man, I am successful. Don't know if you've ever heard that terminology of kind of a self-made man, a self-made woman, but that's what Nebuchadnezzar is feeling. Look at what I've done. Look at all of this that I've built. Look at everything that I've accomplished. And then he goes to sleep one night and he has this dream and this dream troubles him. And he invites Daniel in and Daniel begins to interpret the dream and he cautions the king as to what's going on. And then in this, the voice of God comes to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter four. And God says this, this is what he says. All of this happened to the king. And 12 months later, as he was walking out on his roof of the royal palace in Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon that I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? This is all for me. Even as the words were on his lips, the voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from your people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the most high is the sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives um, gives them to anyone that he wishes." So as I mentioned, Nebuchadnezzar, he's kind of stuck on himself, right? He's kind of hung up on himself in this moment. He's thinking about everything that he's done. And God comes to him and he cautions him, hey, this is not the right attitude. And if this doesn't change, something is going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar thought that he had done all of this. And he quickly comes to realize that pride will drive you mad. Pride in your life will drive you mad arrogance and conceit, that idea that I've done all of this, that all of this is for me, it will quickly drive you mad. As a kid, I remember hearing this story and I was imagining this guy that was this king like in royal robes and then he kind of transforms into this animal, right? He's out with the ox and he's got kind of this this crazy look in his eye, but he's kind of like half human, half animal. And and I guess as an adult kind of rereading this, I think, okay, that's not what happened. But he goes kind of wild and he loses his mind. So I don't know how you picture that, but I'm guessing like long fingernails, kind of like the claws of a bird is is what that says. He's eating the grass of the field. No one wants to be around him. This is the guy that led the empire. This is the guy that overthrew other kingdoms, that led the army, that gave a royal decree and everyone followed. And because of the pride in his life, he literally goes crazy in his mind. He can't handle it anymore because he, he was conceited. He considered it all to be about himself. In this book written by this pastor, Kerry Newhoff, he said this, pride can come across as an obsession of self. Where you think you are so great, you spend all day worrying about how great you are or how great you're not. See, for some of us, pride doesn't take the form of kind of this conceit and arrogance, look at everything that I'm done, but we're obsessed with ourselves, right? We're looking at how much am I noticed? Who's taking note of what I'm doing? And, and do I have what that family has? Like, you know, am I in that position that that person? We're obsessed with ourselves. And so before you think, or before I think, hey, I'm not Nebuchadnezzar, I don't lead the empire, 
we have to be careful that pride doesn't sneak in as an obsession of self because when you only look at yourself like Nebuchadnezzar did, you start to go mad. When you're so obsessed with yourself and what everyone is thinking, the stress of constantly keeping up, constantly performing, constantly producing, constantly doing like, hey, it all depends on me and I have to do all of this. That's a pride of self. And what happens is Nebuchadnezzar loses it because he doesn't recognize that it's God who controls all of this. And mentally, his mind starts to break down and he's out for seven years is kind of what we assume that time meant there. Seven years he's living day in, day out, right? As someone that's not right in his mind, this guy that led the empire and he finds himself in this place. That's what pride does to us. And it comes in so many different ways in so many different fashions that we have to stop and we have to begin to look. God, is pride driving us to a place where we're just obsessed about ourselves, where we're so concerned what others think about us? Do they notice us? Do we have success as far as everyone else defines that? Or are we concerned with that? Because that will begin to break down our emotional health, our mental health, when we're just looking at what other people are saying about us. That's not how you and I were meant to live. That's not how you're meant to lead others. That's not how your relationships are designed to function. You don't want to be around someone that's just obsessed with themselves, that's always dominating the conversation, and you can never even get a word in because they just love to hear themselves talk so much. That's how Nebuchadnezzar is, and this pride drives him mad. It drives him crazy because he doesn't acknowledge that God is the one who's given him what he has. That the kingdom really isn't about Nebuchadnezzar, what he's done, but God is the one who gives influence, who promotes into position. And he's asking Nebuchadnezzar to acknowledge that. And because he doesn't, he becomes like a wild animal. He's this madman that's out in the field, just kind of roaming around and his position has been taken away from him. Is this what your life is like? Are there times where you're caught up in the comparison game? Where if someone else down the street, if they get something, it's hard for you to celebrate with them because you want that new boat, you want that new car, you want the pool in your backyard at work when someone else gets promoted. All you can think about is yourself. I should have gotten that job. I should have gotten noticed. I should have gotten that raise. And it can become difficult in our life to celebrate others because we're so consumed with ourselves. Pride will make you crazy. It will drive you mad because your life is only consumed with you. And so it's this challenge that we don't become like Nebuchadnezzar. Now, hopefully none of you will kind of fall to that place where he fell, but it can impact our lives in other ways and maybe more subtle ways that we don't notice. And we have to stop and examine our heart. That's what God is asking Nebuchadnezzar to do. Hey, look inside of you. Look deep down at the person that who you are and begin to ask God, what is my heart like? Like, what's my motivation and the influence that I have and the leadership that I have, whether that's in your family, whether it's with friends, whether it's in your workplace, God, what's my motivation? What am I bringing to these relationships? Is it really all about me? Am I just friends with people because I can get something out of that? Because they can do something for me because somehow I'll benefit? We have to examine our hearts. God, do I celebrate with others? Or do I get mad when other people get something because I didn't get it or I wanted it? That's a condition of the heart. Pride will drive you crazy. It will make you mad. That's what Nebuchadnezzar found out. And so we've got to examine our heart. That's what God challenges him to do. Nebuchadnezzar, examine your heart. Look at this. 
Now, thankfully, after that seven years, Nebuchadnezzar comes to a place where he acknowledges, God, you are sovereign. Lord, you're the one that gives the empire. Look, I couldn't keep this thing for the past seven years. It was taken away from me because, God, you're in control. I'm not. And so he acknowledges that, and he's restored back into his place of position. And Daniel continues to serve. He continues to lead. Nebuchadnezzar's life is over. Other kings come and go. Um, I was talking with John Jones about this, and and he said, man, there were six other kings. And it's like, it's some kind of like movie where there's assassination after assassination. And there's even like younger kings that rise up maybe in their early um, teenage years and they're assassinated. And so six kings kind of come and go like really, really quickly in the kingdom of what's happening. And then we pick up this story again in Daniel chapter five. And there's a new king named Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Now, this sounds similar to Daniel's um, Babylonian name, Belshazzar, I think is how that's pronounced. So it can be confusing, but this is a different individual, Belshazzar. Um, And your Bible may say his father, Nebuchadnezzar, but that's kind of like his predecessor. It probably wasn't his, you know, real father. It was a predecessor, a king that came before him. And so all these kings are kind of coming and going. Daniel's still serving. And all of a sudden, Belshazzar comes into the power And he wants to prove to everyone how great he is, how amazing. Everyone, look at me. I'm now the new king. And he didn't get there because people thought he was amazing. He got there probably through assassination, killing um, someone else that was in the kingdom. And now he's risen to power, and so he's going to throw this party. He's going to throw this party for everyone, and he only wants the best stuff there. And so what does he do? He gets the stuff that was brought from the temple in Jerusalem, the house of God, And he gets the wine goblets, he gets the platters, and he's serving hors d'oeuvres on them and appetizers, and he's drinking wine from these goblets that were not meant for everyday use. They were meant for sacred use in the temple of God. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the party, there's this giant hand that appears. I mean, imagine just out of nowhere if you saw this big hand over here, and it starts to write on the wall. If you've ever heard the handwritings on the wall... That's where this comes from, this story right here. This hand begins to write on the wall, and this is what it says in Daniel chapter 5, 22. This is the interpretation. Belshazzar, his son, you have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this, of what happened to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And this is what the inscription means. Meeny, meeny, pico, parson, I think is how that's pronounced. God has numbered the days of your reign and it's being brought to an end. You have been weighed on the scales and you've been found wanting. And your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then it's Belshazzar's command. Daniel was clothed in purple because he gave that that interpretation. A gold chain was placed around his neck. He was proclaimed the third highest in the kingdom. In that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius, the Medes, um, the king over the Medes, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So what happens? He throws this big party. Everyone look at me. Look what I've done. And then all of a sudden, the kingdom is taken away from him, and pride will rob you of your life and your influence. Pride will rob you of your life and of your influence. That line just sticks out to me. Your life has been found weighed on the scales, and it's wanting. It's lacking. Now, who would look at the king over this massive empire and think, man, he's not 
good enough, you know, that he's not the, the leader that he should be. I mean, he looks like, man, he plays the part. He looks the part. Everyone's probably seeing him and thinking, man, that is a successful guy. And yet when God looks at his heart, he's saying there's something empty inside of you. You have pride, but you're really hollow deep down on the inside. You're not leading in the way that I've called you to lead. You're not acknowledging my role in your life. Pride had filled up this king. And God says, wait, you're just found wanting. There's something lacking inside of your life. So pride will rob you of your life and it'll rob you of your influence. Now, hopefully, once again, you'll never see writing on a wall where God is saying your life is coming to an end. But what about the relationships that you have that are destroyed through pride? The leadership that you may have at your work, that if you allow pride to creep in, people aren't going to want to follow you. The influence that you have that God has placed in your life, that if you're leading out of pride and if it's all about you and people are just there to benefit your life and so that you can have things, the relationships that that will destroy, pride will destroy and it'll rob you of your life and your influence. That's what Belshazzar found out. And his life was ended. The kingdom was taken away from him. And just thinking through this, how many conversations I've had with people over the years in ministry of dads that when I get down to the heart of it, really, they kind of see their family as there to serve them. And that's not the case. We're called to serve our family of parents that are struggling in relationships with their kids because they think, hey, my kids are just there for my happiness. And that's not the case. We're called to serve our families, to serve our kids in your workplace, students, the relationships that you have. A lot of that friction is because we want our own way. Pride tells us it's all about us and my friends. They're even there just to make me happy and for my benefit. And that's not the case. The relationships that God has given you, they're not there just for you, but you're called to serve, to care for others, to show that kindness, that compassion. That's what you're called to do. And pride will rob you of those things when you think, hey, this is all about me. You're striving for that position, but why? Is it for yourself or is it to serve others? Is it so that you can lead in a way that others are blessed, that others receive a benefit, that others are impacted by your generosity and by your care because of the influence that God has given you? Sarah and I almost... Um, Every night, like we'll turn on a TV show and we kind of have this rotation that we'll watch. And I usually don't even make it through one show. Like I'm immediately asleep. So when we start to fall asleep, um, we'll, we'll kind of turn it on and set the TV timer. And then I usually don't make it through the episode. Right now we're going through Seinfeld. I don't know if any Seinfeld fans, but I love it. Um, kind of a throwback. And so we watch the reruns and everything. And there's this episode, even if you don't know it, where one of the main characters, Elaine, she gets promoted in her company. Her boss, Mr. Peterman, goes away. And now she's over all the company. And she thinks, man, this is the greatest thing in the world. She just starts buying stuff and charging it to the company account. And so she's got like this new high-tech water pick for um, cleaning your teeth. And she's got all of these nice clothes. And this finance person comes in and says, what are all these charges? And she's like, well, I'm buying stuff. I'm the president of the company now. 
And he's like, it doesn't work that way. And she's like, well, I'm the boss. I thought I could do just whatever I wanted. And he's like, no, you can't. And so then she has to come up with these creative ways of why this is a company expense. And so the water pick, she's like watering the plants with it, right? And, and like this hat, she's trying to figure out how to make the hat like a warmer or something. And she's doing all of that because she really thought, well, that's what the president does, right? Like that's what the leader of the company does. They just get to do whatever they want. And that's not why she's supposed to have that position. And yet that's how some of us approach our relationships and our influence and the leadership that we have. Oh, this is just about me, right? Like I get all of these benefits. That's what Belshazzar thought. And yet God showed him how pride will destroy your life. It will take away your influence. It'll take away your leadership. It'll take away those relationships that you have. We have to examine our hearts and make sure that pride is not robbing us that our life doesn't look good on the outside, but really deep on the inside, our life is lacking and we're found wanting. Wanting of character, wanting of substance, wanting of what really matters in our life, the love and the compassion that we are called to share. We need to make sure that our life actually has substance. And that's what we see in the life of Daniel. This man who, as I mentioned, continues to lead and have influence continues to have this voice of wisdom as kingdoms rise and fall. Not only kings, but entire kingdoms are falling and Daniel's still in this place of position. He's still in this place of power. He's still this person that has a voice to some of the top leaders in the nation. How does he do that? Well, we see this right here over and over again. Daniel continues to point the kings and the leaders, hey, it's all about God. If you want an interpretation for your dream, it's not, it's not coming from me. God may use me to speak to you, but this is God who has all the wisdom. This is God who brings understanding. This is God. This is, I'm just a vessel that God uses. There's this extreme humility in the life of Daniel. And he continues to not only in his life demonstrate that, he continues to point others towards that. In Daniel chapter four, verse 26, he says this, O king, I want you to understand this, what this dream of, your, of yours means, that the kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that it's heaven that rules. And your majesty, please accept my advice. There's not arrogance there. Please accept what I'm saying to you. Renounce your sins. Do what is right. Your wickedness, um, let that be stopped. And be kind to the oppressed, that it may be that your prosperity will continue. Over and over again, Daniel keeps pointing people hey, it's God. God's in control. This isn't about me. This isn't about my position. This isn't about power in my life. This is about submitting your life to God, listening to his voice, following his lead. That's what humility looks like. And so Daniel lives this out, king after king, empire after empire. Daniel continues to lead in humility. And that's the challenge that we have. Humility is how you and I are called to lead others. I want you to hear that humility is how you and I are called to lead others over and over again. It's humility in Daniel's life that brings his promotions. It's humility in Daniel's life that gives him influence with some of the, the most powerful people in the entire world at that time. It's humility. It's not pride. It's not arrogance. And in the relationships that you have, it's humility that's going to open up the door to allow you to lead. Now, you can demand stuff from people, right? Like, as a parent, you can demand stuff from your kids, but that's not true leadership. 
at your workplace, you can demand stuff maybe from your employees or from people that you're a supervisor over, but that's not leadership. Leadership is influence. And people begin to follow you when they see a humility in your life. When they see that you're pointing to God, this isn't about my position. I'm not concerned with just how this benefits me, but I'm here to serve others. I'm here to love others. Did you catch what Daniel said to the king? Oh, king, use your influence to release the oppression of other people. Be kind to the oppressed. Use your influence, king, to stop wickedness in your kingdom. Don't let evil, don't let sin prevail. Use your leadership, not for your benefit, but for the benefit of others. Walk in humility. That's how you lead people. Dads, that's how you lead your family. Not you have to do what I say, but you lead by example in humility. You lead in your workplace by example in humility, by serving others. Students, you lead in those relationships, in those friendships, by not just being concerned about yourself, by not being selfish, but by leading others in humility. Hey, I'm here for your benefit, to serve you. I'm here to listen. I'm here to show compassion and kindness. This is what we see in Daniel's life, this powerful example that he lives out. And so I wanna challenge you in that. Parents, you don't have to act like you have it all figured out because we don't. Lead in humility. Be honest at times and say, I don't know. Hey, I messed up. I'm sorry. I want to do better. I want to make sure that you're everything that God wants you to be. We lead out of humility. Church, in this place, when we serve alongside of others, we serve in humility. In your workplace, I want you to hear this. You're called to serve in humility. That means while everyone else is talking about your boss and how they're an idiot, how they're a jerk, right? How they don't understand that you lead differently. You lead out of humility. You don't know it all and you're not in their position. So you don't know the decisions that they're maybe faced with or that they're having to make. It's okay, you lead out of humility. You lead out of the humbleness and you recognize that it's God who's in control. And so in our own lives, we submit that to God and we point other people to his voice and to his leadership and to his guidance that we would receive God's hand and his blessing and his power in our life. We are called to serve. So I wanna pray for you this morning. Ask if you would maybe take a moment and just bow your head and close your eyes and reflect on what God's been challenging us. How are you approaching life? Is it easy to be prideful? Maybe not in an outward pride like Nebuchadnezzar had, but maybe where you're a little obsessed with yourself and what others think about you and what you have or what you don't have that others have. That's not how we're called to live. And the Bible says that that's sin in our life, that desire to do it on our own and rebel against God. And you may be here and hearing this and recognizing, yeah, God, I don't know if I fully submitted my life to you. I don't know if I'm walking in a way where I'm listening to your voice and following your direction. Maybe you're watching this at home or online and you're somewhere and you're feeling something that you've not felt before. And it's God's spirit calling you and inviting you into a relationship. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short of God's designed for our life and God's plan for our life. And we can't fix ourselves on our own. 
And the beauty of the gospel is Jesus came and made the way. He took your place and he took my place for our sins. He died on the cross so that we could be restored back into right relationship with God. And so I wanna lead us in a prayer and I'm gonna invite everyone in the room to say this, whether you're praying this for the first time, everyone watching online, repeat this after me. Jesus, I come to you and I acknowledge my sin. I recognize pride in my life and it separates me from you. So I'm asking for your forgiveness. I accept your salvation. Be the savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. I invite you in. Give me a brand new start. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Church, can we just put our hands together and celebrate for anyone that may have prayed that prayer for the first time or recommitted their life. The Bible says that heaven rejoices whenever that happens. And if that was you, we are so excited for you and that decision that you're making. We believe that, that God gives us a brand new start. He does something inside of our life. And I wanna lead us in one more prayer, but this time I'm gonna ask you to not repeat after me, but just in your own words, would you have a conversation with God? And if there was a part of this that stuck out to you, maybe you're trying to keep up with others. Maybe some of your relationships are really just about you. Would you just submit that to God and say, God, help me to walk humbly, Lord, in the influence that you've given me. Could be in your workplace. Maybe you need to pray for someone else that struggles with these things. But let's take a moment and ask God to help us walk out this message as we go into this next week. And I'm going to lead out. But once again, just have a conversation with God and ask him to lead us in this. Lord, I thank you for the life of Daniel. And God, this picture, this person, Lord, that walked in front of different kings over different kingdoms, God, and Lord, you gave him influence, but it was humility, Lord, that he led with. And I pray for each of us, God, help us to walk in that same way, to be that example, God, to lead in that way in our relationships, God, in our families, in our workplaces, God, for dads, Lord, that you would help us to lead in a new way. Let it be in humility, God. Let it be honoring you, God, to be open when we don't understand or when we don't know, God, and Lord, to graciously follow you. God, I pray for that kind of example in our life. Lord, I pray for every person, God, that you would help us, like Daniel, Lord, to lead in that kind of way, God, and Lord, to have influence in our relationships, God, to point others to you, God, to direct others to you, God, not to use leadership for our benefit, but God, for the benefit of others. And as we do that, let it bring change to the culture around us, God. Let it impact, Lord, other people that see our lives, God, and would glorify you, God, or we come to know you because of the way that we're living. Let us be that kind of church, God. Let us walk humbly in a kingdom, God. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. What is an area of your life where pride may be creeping in? Be honest with yourself and think about this week. How can you practice humility and reflect God's kingdom by serving others in this specific area? Here at NCC, we are all about making people and places new. and We want to help you grow in your faith. So connect with us online at newcommunity.co. We would love to hear from you.